I think if you can get those three, um, surround yourself with, with good folks, put yourself in good situations, and educate yourself, I think you're a long way towards doing what you need to do. Have you ever wondered about how we make decisions about our money? Or why we feel the way we do about those decisions? Welcome to Nudging Financial Behavior, the podcast that aims to help you understand how and why you make certain decisions about money. Presented by Dr. Giselle Willows, an expert in behavioral finance. This podcast is all about looking at human behavior and biases, especially when it comes to your finances. You can catch the series on YouTube, the Nudging Financial Behavior blog, or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to like and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, IG Market South Africa, a world-leading online trading provider that gives you access to opportunities across thousands of financial markets through their intuitive platforms and apps. Let's get started. Welcome to Episode 5 of Nudging Financial Behavior. I'm Dr. Shazal Willows. Thank you so much for joining us here today. In this series, it's my goal to help you recognize the biases that can subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, pull or push your thinking into making decisions about your finances that aren't entirely rational. When you're able to recognize these pushes and pulls, you'll be able to make smarter choices about your money and hopefully end up saving and earning more. In this episode, we're delving into what biases actually are and trying to understand how we make decisions about our money. I'm also speaking to Dr. Daniel Crosby, a psychologist and New York Times bestselling author who can help us get to grips with some of these terms we're talking about. And hey, it'll be a fun change from talking to financial experts. Please hit the thumbs up button to like this episode and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. In the previous episodes, we spoke a lot about human nature and the common pitfalls that get us into financial trouble. Now, I want to start digging a little deeper into human behavior so we can see what it is that we're working with when it comes to human nature. To begin, indulge me by doing this quick quiz. There are three questions. Grab a pen and paper or open up the note app on your phone or computer, then write down the first answer that comes to mind. And if you're listening in your car, then just shout out the answer. Don't think about it too much, just go with your first response. Question one, here we go. Divide 30 by a half and add 10. What is the answer? Okay, question two. A doctor gives you three pills, telling you to take one every half hour. How long would the pills last? And question three. Some months have 31 days. How many have 28? Are you ready for the answers? Right. Question one was, divide 30 by a half and add 10. The correct answer is 70, not 25. The wording of the problem was divide by half, not divide by two or divide in half. Big difference. Question two was, a doctor gives you three pills telling you to take one every half hour. How long would the pills last? The answer is one hour, not one and a half hours. Because think about it. You take the first one immediately, the second one half an hour later, and the third one half an hour after that. So one hour has passed in total. Okay, question three was then, some months have 31 days. How many have 28? It's all of them, not just February. All the months have 28 days. 
Okay, I can see some smiling happening <laughs> with my team around the room here. Okay, that one is a little bit of a brain teaser, but it still catches most people out. If you got some or all of the answers wrong, don't worry. Most people do. Remember, I told you not to think about it too much and just write down or shout out the first answers that came to mind. That was because I was forcing you to use your quick system one thinking. And with this in mind, I can now introduce the concept of quick and slow thinking, also known as system one and system two thinking with you. And if you're wondering what this has to do with personal finance habits and decision making, don't worry, I'm getting there. The reason I'm starting here is because I want to help you be more conscious of the workings of your brain. This will then aid you to understand how biases and decision making impact your behavior with money. The idea of System 1 Assisted Two Thinking was coined by Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman with his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a New York Times bestseller. Really interesting reading if you're at all into behavioral science. Essentially, what his research says is that human brains have two operating systems, which he calls System 1 and System 2. The fast-thinking system and the slow-thinking system. System 1 where we think quickly and sometimes jump to the wrong answers like many of us did with the three questions I asked earlier, makes up around 95% of all our thinking. It's the unconscious, effortless and automatic thinking. It assesses a situation and quickly delivers an update on it. On the other side of the equation, system two is our slow thinking. It's our controlled, rational thinking. It's conscious and deliberate. It seeks out new or missing information when making decisions. But because it requires effort to engage system two, it's understandable that it makes up less than 5% of all our thinking. Let me ask you another question. What do you think of when this music plays? Oh, your brain and body automatically get ready for a surprise or a fright. Your brain uses past experiences with suspense or horror movies to prepare you for what is about to happen next. Now, you've experienced fast thinking. It's completely effortless. You see, our system one fast thinking brain invests as little resources as necessary so that things run quickly and smoothly. System one thinking generates context without you even realizing it. And that context is often generated based on previous experience. But if I asked you to multiply 19 by 26 without using a calculator, something different happens. System one brain tells you that this is a math problem. You could solve it if you had a bit of time. But if you do try to solve the problem, your muscles will tense, your pupils will dilate, and your heart rate will increase. This is slow thinking, your system two. Now, this isn't a bad thing that our brains work this way, with 95% of the thinking being done by system one. Yes, you might feel a little foolish because of the answers that your fast thinking brain came up with earlier but your system one actually does a lot of really good work. I mean, popular media suggests that we make about 35,000 decisions each day. This may sound like a large number, but if we consider that we make 221 decisions daily about food alone, that puts it into context for you. If we had to consciously process each one of those decisions, I mean, our brains would crash. Imagine the effort to deliberately decide to put your right foot forward then your left foot forward when walking. This is why we need our quick thinking system one. It helps prevent cognitive overload when performing mental activities. But in order for our system one to work so quickly and subconsciously, it uses a lot of shortcuts, also known as heuristics, to do so. 
This is where mistakes creep in, and this is where behavioral biases thrive. It's important to note that our two systems work together. Right? It's not a competition between the two. System one is where things start, and our fast brain sends suggestions to our slow brain to evaluate. Problem solving happens in a dual process across both systems. The problem, though, comes in when we let our fast brain do too much of the work, and we don't stop to think about why we might be making certain decisions. Now we can start our conversation about biases and how they impact our decision-making process. I just mentioned that our system one uses shortcuts to make decisions. These are known as heuristics. These shortcuts are essentially our brain using past experience and the information readily available to provide quick context for a problem and then come up with a solution. People often think or refer to this as their intuition or a gut feeling, or more dangerously, they call it a best estimate. Of course, this is fine if you're deciding if you want your eggs fried or scrambled for breakfast, but it's not so great if you're deciding where to invest your life savings. Heuristics don't examine the problem and probe the answer for flaws. Okay, now I want to throw another psychological term at you. Cognitive bias. Cognition refers to the mental process or action that is used to acquire knowledge and comprehension. This cognitive process includes remembering, thinking, knowing, judging, and problem solving. We use heuristics or mental shortcuts to derive a solution to a problem. When a systematic error results from the use of these heuristics in decision-making, it's called a cognitive bias. Let me give you an example of how it all works together. System one and system two thinking, fast and slow thinking. You set up a meeting with a financial planner because you need some assistance and advice on your finances. You step into the room and start using fast thinking to make a fast judgment. This happens mostly unconsciously by your system one brain. If a financial planner has tattoos, you might automatically think that they're perhaps too out there. Or if you have tattoos yourself, you might like the person because they're similar to you. If the financial planner is wearing glasses, your system one brain thinks that he or she is smart. You are busy thinking fast. Your system one then sends suggestions to your system two without you even knowing about it. Your system two then spends the rest of the interview looking for anything to confirm the suggestions made by system one. So you make your final decision on whether you'll take advice from this panel or not based on both operating systems. We think fast and slow. Let's have a chat with Dr. Daniel Crosby, Chief Behavioral Officer at Orion Advisor Solutions and the New York Times best-selling author of multiple books on behavioral finance. He's also the host of his very own podcast, Standard Deviations. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, my pleasure. We've been talking about system one and system two thinking. Can I ask, what is your professional opinion on this school of thinking? So uh, I, I love it. I think it's a useful simplification, but like most simplifications, it can get overextended and it can get reified and, and be thought of as more real than it actually is. So I think in a lot of times we've, we've used this simplification to say that, you know, system one is bad and system two is good. And that's just not the case. You know, system one has its place. Uh, we, we rely on thinking fast because a lot of what uh, a lot of the decisions that we make and we we make tens of thousands of decisions a day. Most of them are profoundly low stakes. Most of them can be performed on autopilot. And that saves us a lot of time and a lot of cognitive uh, bandwidth. You know, your brain accounts for 
two to three percent of your body weight, but it accounts for about 25% of your metabolic expenditures in a given day. So anytime you can sort of offload some thinking processes, you've, you've done something positive, as long as it's not uh, interfering with the way that you think or it's not causing you to make a, a high stakes decision in a low stakes way. So is it a good thing like system one and system two? I think it's a useful abbreviation. I think it's a useful shorthand, but just in the same way that biases are shorthand, it can get misapplied, it can get overextended. And I think that's where we run into problems. Yes, definitely. I mean, a big part of what we're talking about in this series is how these biases impact our financial decision-making. Where do you think these biases come from? Is it environmental, is it innate, nature, nurture, or a bit of both? I mean, where do you think they're popping up from? So the, the sort of cop-out psychologist answer is that everything is biopsychosocial, right? So there's an element of biology to it, there's an element of psychology to it, and there's an element of culture to it. But let me try and be less obnoxious and not just give the, the cop-out answer. I'll try and put some numbers to it. So if we look at the research on happiness, happiness has done an actually a very good job of, of putting numbers to the relative contribution of these sort of three different elements. When we look at the happiness research, we find that about half, half of someone's happiness is down to something called their genetic set point. So uh, the same way that people have a set point with something like body weight or, or muscle composition, people have a, a set point with respect to their attitude and they're more or less happy depending on their genes. And that sort of sucks to admit, right? Like that's tough to admit uh, that about half of our happiness owes to mom and dad, um, but it is what it is. And there's a strong, uh, there's a strong nature component to this. But if we look at that remaining 50%, it's actually quite different than people think. Of the remaining 50%, only about 10% is down to, uh, you know, what, what happens to you. Only about 10% is down to circumstances, and the remaining 40% is down to your choices that you make, um, you know, things like meditation, cognitive behavioral therapy, volitional choices that you make. So even though about half, in the case of happiness, owes to genetic factors, there's still almost another half that's within our control and usually much less depends on just sort of what happens to us. So we're not totally in control of these decisions, but we are largely in control and, and environmental factors have less of an influence than I think we sometimes think. Just shows the importance of the small choices you do make and the impact that they can have. I mean, do you have any closing advice for us on how to overcome these biases? I mean, some we have more control over than others, but any advice for us? Yeah, I have a, a three-part system for thinking about overcoming bias because I think it, it takes multiple legs of a stool to do something like change behavior. And it's, it's three E's. The first of these is education. So we need to be aware that these biases exist, which is, you know, what you're, what you're doing here. We need to be educated about the ways that the specific biases interplay with our own triggers and our own personality and the things we run into every day. Uh, in the case of financial markets, where I work, we need to know how the markets work, right? So whatever situation we're going into, we need to be educated around. So education is sort of this foundational piece. Um, the second piece is environment. 
you know, um, environment really is critical. Controlling sort of the situations we find ourselves in, uh, even down to the people we hang out with, the types of news we take in, the books we read, the programs we watch, all have a material impact on the way we view the world and the way we move through the world. So controlling and managing that environment is the second piece. And the final piece is encouragement is having a coach, having a psychologist, having a financial advisor. Because even when you're putting yourself in a good environment, even when you're well-educated as to your predisposition to fall prey to these different biases, there's still going to be moments where you want to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And you need that, that friend, that coach, that advisor to kind of pull you back and help you make sense of a tough situation. So I think if you can get those three, um, surround yourself with, with good folks, put yourself in good situations and educate yourself. I think you're a long way towards doing what you need to do. Very wise words. Thank you, Daniel. My pleasure. I have to say, I'm glad to hear from an expert that it really is possible to take control of our biases and do something to ensure that they don't push us to make the wrong decisions. It's also so interesting to hear that despite the fact that some elements of our behavior are genetic, we do actually have a lot more say in how we act and react than we often think we do. I want to just go back to system one and system two thinking again. Remember what Daniel said, despite his bad reputation, we need to be thankful for system one. It's valuable and it comes with many benefits. I mean, it's the reason we have survived as a species. I mean, if we had to rationally think about a loud explosion and analyze it carefully instead of being scared and running away from it immediately, we wouldn't be here. Problem arises when we use system one instead of system two in situations where our slow thinking brain would have been the better option. The most important takeaway here is that human beings are irrational. It helps to just accept this reality. My challenge to you is to stick with me in this series and learn about your behavioral biases and how to improve your decision making. And then, once you understand the two systems better, try to be more aware of which system you're using to avoid repeating mistakes, particularly those that get you into financial trouble. I'm sure it's given you a lot to think about over here, and we haven't even delved into the individual biases yet. Please like this episode and subscribe to our channel, because for the rest of this season, we're going to be looking at four biases in detail. They are overconfidence, of course. How can we not start with overconfidence? Confirmation bias, a crowd favorite. Framing and then anchoring. Some of these we've already touched on, but we're going to be going a little more in-depth and giving you examples of how these biases can impact the decisions you make about your money. Thank you for sticking with me as we spoke about a lot of psychology in this episode of Nudging Financial Behavior. That was Nudging Financial Behavior, hosted by behavioral finance expert, Dr. Giselle Willows. Make sure you like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can catch the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast on YouTube, our blog, or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Thank you again to our sponsors, IG Market South Africa, for helping to bring the show to life. And now for the disclaimer. This podcast should not be seen as advice. All the information and opinions are of a general nature. They are not intended to address the needs or circumstances of any individual. We are not financial advisors, neither are any of our staff or service providers, nor is our sponsor. All expressions of opinion by the host or guest are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. 
Any information you get from us should be seen as only that. Information only.